It's a little bit extra special this morning because Dave Talley is with us, Joni as well. So to, glad to have them back. I feel very fortunate to get to introduce this couple, and particularly Dave, because I ministered alongside him for so many years here when God was doing some amazing things of changing this church into something very different. And it was quite a ride, still is. Dave is no longer with us uh, and moved on to some of the amazing ministries, some of which he'll talk about perhaps in the sermon, including where he was just yesterday. Uh, pretty amazing. But Dave has just beautifully uh, exhibited for me and to many of you what it is like to follow Christ, to follow him wholeheartedly. Uh, he's an Old Testament professor, but there's really nothing old about Dave other than that. Everything else is new. Dave, come up and, and uh, share from us some new insights you have from God's Word. Thank you, Walter. Thank you. Good to see you. Good morning to you. I'm glad to be here today. <laughs> I thought I might consider, continue that robot theme. There is a lot old about me, actually. I was telling Joni, why can't I wear jeans and a sport coat like that, like Walt does? And she said, well, you would have to roll up the sleeves and it's just not you. I think what she was saying is I'm old, but Walt's older than I am. I don't get it. Uh, my kids just think I'm a dork, and uh, so that's good, I guess. I'm glad to be here this morning, but I feel like there's this great gulf fixed between us. What in the world? Why is everyone so far away? I feel like the people up here working on the roof could be just as well attending this morning as all of you. I can't quite see you, but I'm glad to be here. It's been a privilege for me to uh, be a part of so many of your lives throughout the years. And so to be able to come back and invest in you a little bit today is just a, it's a lot of fun to have Joni here with me as well. Uh, we are at Cornerstone Church in Long Beach, pastor of teaching and theology down there. And we have also a missions component to that church, Holistic Church Training Network. And so as Walt was saying recently, actually more than yesterday, it takes 24 hours to get to and from. Uganda is where I was for the past week and we do pastoral training and we really have, I think, a very effective program. And so it's been rich to be a part of that. We're just completing a cycle of three years in Ethiopia and now we're beginning in Uganda, hopefully moving into some other countries, um, Zambia, Rwanda, possibly Kenya, Ghana. Just we have to take it a step at a time to see what's going on. But it was great to be there with some brothers in Christ. We were with the Church of Uganda, and I promised them that I would bring you greetings uh, this morning from the Church of Uganda. Uh, over 15,000 churches. I forget how many millions of people are in that church, but God's doing some amazing work in their lives, and it was fun to be with them. So thanks for having me here this morning. And I trust I can greet some of you as we go through the morning. You can see the title of the message today is Warning, Foolishness is Out to Get You. So we're going to be in our Bibles in Proverbs chapter 6, verse 20 through chapter 7, verse 27. I'm actually going to bring a focus this morning on chapter 7, and I'll tell you why in just a moment. But let me tell you one incident that happened in Kampala. By the way, many of you know the Negretis. I was trying to get together with, with the Negretis while I was there. And we had a time set up that didn't work out. So we were trying to set up a different time. But I needed a COVID-19 test before I could get on the airline. 
And so we went downtown Kampala and we were getting our COVID test and all of a sudden our eyes started stinging and we couldn't figure out what's going on. The lady who was doing our test said, that's tear gas. And so we could hear rioting beginning to take place just about a block from where we were and we were getting ready to leave and the people the, that drive the little taxi motorcycles said, don't go down there. They're rioting down there. And so we began to try to find a different way. And I bet you we had to choose six or, def six or seven different routes to get out of there. Tires burning in the street, rioters lined up along the pathway, garbage being dragged out into the streets and being burned. So finally, fortunately, we had a four-wheel drive and we got to get out of there and we got our way back to our motel. You see, I think that represents a lot of our lives. We know where we want to go. We know what we want to do. We want to live a life that's pleasing to the Lord. We want to be one who lives in holiness and righteousness, but oftentimes it takes a few different routes and we ourselves have to experience dead ends or routes that we take that are not effective, that end up in places where that we don't want to be. And that becomes the importance of the book of Proverbs. Proverbs is trying to lay out for us the way that we are to live so that we can experience the fullness of life that God has intended us to live. And I remember a few years ago, Rob Price was taking us through the first part of Proverbs. Can't remember, I think we were maybe doing preaching through the Bible. And during that sermon, it, it put me on a route, a path to really try to want to understand the book of Proverbs better. Proverbs is about the way of life versus the way of death. And I think all of us here this morning would say, uh, sign me up for the way of life. That's, that's the road that I want to be on. I don't think any of us would say, yeah, put me on that road to death. That sounds appealing to me. Yeah, death, destruction. But yet, if we could show of hands this, uh, show of hands this morning, and I'm not going to ask for them, many of us here know what it's like to be on a destructive path, don't we? We know what it's like to be going down a path that puts us in a place that we never intended to be, we don't want to be, and the consequences of that sometimes are personally difficult, and sometimes it can impact those around us. Sometimes the sins, the destructive path that we are on takes us to a place where it has an impact on our mom and dad, our siblings, our family, those in our local church. And Proverbs is trying to give us the path to stay on so that we can understand, number one, what we're up against, and number two, the path that we need to, to be on. So back when Rob Price was um, preaching that sermon, I remember him talking very clearly about the simple outline of the book of Proverbs. And I've held that ever since. By the way, is Rob Price here today? Rob Price anywhere? Hello, Rob. Thank you so much. But if I remember correctly, it was him that said chapters one through nine are really the doctrine portion of the Proverbs. And chapters 10 through 31 are the application of that. It's all these little statements. I'm talking about wisdom. These are not promises that we find in Proverbs. They're all just wisdom statements. As, as I look at life and consider possibilities that are out there, you know what? It makes a lot of sense. It's wise to live in this way. It's foolish to live in this way. And so it's setting up these two different paths. And there are four main characters as we move through chapters one through nine. We've got the father. 
We've got the son. So there's his father trying to pass on wisdom to the son. And then the two main characters that we want to see as prominent in our passage this morning is wisdom and then the strange woman, foolishness. So we've got wisdom versus foolishness. And the writer of Proverbs, probably King Solomon, is going to tell a story about wisdom and foolishness in order to impact all of our lives. So let me pray as we begin this time this morning that God would use this sermon in each one of our lives, including mine, because his word is alive and powerful. So let's pray. I don't know where you are in life right now, but open up your heart to the Lord. Lord, please be merciful to all of us here today. Lord, we've, we've got a veneer on possibly as we come in this morning, our Sunday best, our smiles, the pretentious that we can often set forward to other people, but you, Lord, know what's going on inside of our hearts. And there's pain in this room and difficulty. Lord, there's battles with sin here today as well, maybe even hopeless battles with sin. There's discouragements. There's a desire to understand more about how you might be leading. Lord, wherever we might be, our prayer is today. Please, Lord, do a work in all of our lives. Don't let this be just another time where we sit and sing songs and hear a sermon. Lord, we beg you that your word would be alive and powerful this morning. So we give all of this time to you. And Holy Spirit, open our hearts to receive and we pray all this in the matchless name of Jesus. Amen. So hopefully your Bibles are opened up to Proverbs chapter 6, verse 20, through chapter 7, verse 27. This passage is very similar to a couple of passages that you've already gone through in Proverbs. Chapter 2, verses 16 through 19, has this theme of sexual promiscuity, then also a few weeks back, I actually listened to some of Rob Lister's sermon on chapter 5, verses 1 through 23. There's a lot of similarity to that, especially in what we find in chapter 6 of this morning's passage, verses 20 down to 35. And so we've got these, these obvious warnings that are there about sexual promiscuity. And in this particular passage, what makes it a little bit different than the passages that have come before is this particular passage is about sexual promiscuity with another person's wife. And so that brings a little bit more focus to this passage and its warnings at the end of chapter six against sexual adultery. And then in chapter seven, we've got even more about that spiritual adultery that's there. So I want you to see this connection. Sexual adultery spiritual adultery. And I really believe that's the author's intent in this particular passage. He's going to use what is obvious, physical allurement, and he's going to try to make a maybe less obvious spiritual application. That's why there's something in this passage for all of us today. In chapter 6, verse 20 to 35, the uniqueness that he brings to this particular um, perspective on sexual adultery is that pain is inevitable. Chapter 6, verse 27, fire burns. When you pull fire close to yourself, you will get burned. 
The second thing that he really tries to bring out is restitution's impossible. He says, you sneak into your neighbor's house and steal money and your neighbor finds out and he comes after you, I'll tell you what he'll do. He'll make you restore that money and then some. And maybe that will satisfy him. You sneak into your neighbor's house and steal his wife, that's gonna lead to your death. There will be no restitution for that. And that's the warning that comes out of chapter six. And then when we get into chapter seven, is where we get the strategies. Well, how does this even happen? And that's where I want to focus today. And I don't want to simply focus on the physical sexual temptation part of this. I want us to understand the two paths that are set before all of us in life. The spiritual adultery that takes place. It is easy for us to say, I am a follower of Jesus. It's much more difficult for us to keep our lives on that path that bring honor and glory to him. In fact, in, oftentimes in our lives, we can be blind to the things that have infiltrated our hearts and we're embracing them and it's not pleasing to the Lord. Culture presses in on all of us. It's so interesting to travel the world and see different cultures and things that the church accepts as normal, where as from the outside, I look at that and say, are you kidding me? And I have a big mouth sometimes, and I say those things, and they lead to good conversations. But every time I'm in a situation like that, it causes me to back up and say, what's going on in my culture that is just a part of my life? I've been lured into it, and I'm not even aware of it. May the Holy Spirit work in our lives this morning to help us understand some of what this might be for our lives today. So we're going to focus on chapter 7, verses 1 through 27, where the father tells a story. We all love stories. I love the Old Testament because it's full of stories. And he's going to tell us a story that's going to make a point in this particular um, passage. So let me read chapter 7. Verses 1 all the way down through 27, so that we can set the stage. My son, keep my words and treasure my commandments within you. Keep my commandments and live, and my teaching as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Say to wisdom, you are my sister, and call understanding your intimate friend, that they may keep you from an adulteress, from the foreigner who flatters with her words. For at the window of my house, I looked out through my lattice and I saw among the naive, I discerned among the youths a young man lacking sense, passing through the street near her corner and he takes the way to her house. In the twilight, in the evening, in the middle of the night, in the darkness... And behold, a woman comes to meet him dressed as a harlot, cunning of heart. She is boisterous and rebellious. Her feet do not remain at home. She's now in the streets, now in the squares, and lurks by every corner. So she seizes him and kisses him. And with a brazen face, she says to him, I was due to offer my peace offerings today. I have paid my vows. Therefore, I've come out to meet you, to seek your presence earnestly. And I have found you. I've spread my couch with coverings and with colored linens of Egypt. I've sprinkled my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let us drink our fill of love until morning. Let us delight ourselves with caresses. 
For the man is not at home. He's gone on a long journey. He's taken a bag of money with him. At full moon, he will come home. With her many persuasions, she entices him. With her flattering lips, she seduces him. And suddenly he follows her. As an ox goes to the slaughter, or as one in fetters to the discipline of a fool, until an arrow pierces through his liver. As a bird hastens to the snare, so he does not know that it will cost him his life. Now, therefore, my sons, listen to me. Pay attention to the words of my mouth. Do not let your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her paths. For many are the victims she has cast down, and numerous are all her slain. Her house is the way to Sheol, descending to the chambers of death. What a remarkable story. And maybe you've kept your physical life pure and you feel like this maybe has nothing to do with you. We're gonna look at the spiritual adultery that I think the author of Proverbs really wants us to see in this passage. And there's not a person seated here today who has not struggled with the allurement of this world. And so let's look at the two characters because it's very important to understand the characters, who they are, and then what they do. First of all, the strange woman. Look at chapter seven, verse five. That they may keep you from an adulteress from the foreigner. The strange woman. The translations use different words here. I mean, look at chapter six, verse 24. The word here is evil or immoral woman. Also in chapter six, verse 24, we see the wayward wife, the foreigner, the foreign woman. In chapter 6, verse 26, simply a harlot, prostitute. Chapter 6, verse 26, an adulterer, a man's wife. Chapter 6, verse 29, another man's wife, the neighbor's wife. 6.32, a woman, adulteress, strange woman. And these same words are found in chapter 7 as well. We can look at chapter 7, verse 5 and see the wayward wife, foreigner, foreign woman. Chapter 7, verse 10, the woman. Chapter 7, verse 5, the adulteress or the strange woman. This is a strange woman with an agenda, a clear agenda. And I want you to think foolishness here. This woman comes in not presenting herself as she is, but as a harlot with a body enticed. She is dressed to lure, to simply suck one in to the way of death, which is where all of this ends up. She's cunning of heart. Literally, she's guarded. In other words, you don't ever know who she is. She has one intent, one purpose, one agenda to drag you to your death. That's her agenda. John 10, 10, Satan has an agenda in this world to steal, to kill, and to destroy and even in the New Testament, about the, the, the Satan comes to us as an angel of light. There's an appearance that is there to allure, but the way always is death. In chapter 7, in verse 5, we see that she flatters with her words. She'll tell you whatever it is that you want to hear. There's an agenda here. Chapter 11, I mean 7 and verses 11 and 12, we see that she's boisterous, she's loud, she's rebellious. She's got that pizzazz, that flair. She's enticing. Look at the fun that's there with this particular strange woman. And here's the point. 
as we work our way through the story, what I want us to keep in mind when we see any reference to this particular woman, this is a woman who is outside of the covenant. That's what I want you to think about. So here's a father passing on this wisdom to a son. They are of the covenant. Yahweh is their God. They are to be faithful followers of him. And the father tells a story, son, there are those out there who are outside of the covenant. As parents, don't we feel that when we send our kids out the door? We raise them up in a family and we're trying to pour Jesus into them. We want them to understand the word of God. And then you drop them off that first day of school or they go out to spend the night at a neighbor's house. And, and there's this cause for internal conflict. They're outside of us now. And so the father's passing on to the son. I want you to know that out there, our home is a covenant home. We honor the Lord Jesus Christ. If I could use new covenant terminology. Out there, there's a strange woman. There's stuff that goes on outside the covenant. And the whole point is moving towards chapter seven, the death. To follow someone outside of the covenant will be your death. Now, what is it that this woman does? That's what the whole story is all about. That's who she is. She's outside the covenant. What is it that she does? I mean, this story is graphic. And we've got to understand that there is a spiritual message that here so that we can grasp actually what's being said. Then the whole point is it leads to a path of death. But let's look at it. So in verses six and seven, here's the, here's the man, whether this is just his telling a story or whether this actually happened, we don't know. But he looks out through the lattice. Think about the blinds. I'm gonna open my blinds and I'm gonna look outside right now. And there's some use down there. And there's one young man lacking sense. That's gonna be our second character in the story. We're gonna look at him in just a moment. But there he is, this man. And he's in verse nine, verses eight, nine. He's passing through the streets near her corner. And he takes the way to her house premeditated. This is a man who is moving in a direction in the twilight, in the evening, in the middle of the night and in the darkness. And behold, a woman comes to meet him. Whether this was a planned meeting or whether this man was putting himself in a place where he could be enticed and allured, we don't know. But whether it's planned or just being in the wrong place at the wrong time, there's a spiritual lesson for us to learn from this. This is a man who is putting himself in a situation where he is vulnerable. And there's a spiritual application for us there. We all have to be careful as we are in the covenant. When we get out into the world around us, we've got to be careful that we don't put ourselves in places where we could be more vulnerable in our lives. But what is it that this woman does? So he's got this vulnerability but what I really want us to see is what the woman does in this particular story. There are, she is aggressive. She goes for it. She doesn't hold back one bit in this particular story. And as we think about this, I want you to think about the worldviews that are out there. Secularism, everything that's outside of our covenant that is hard pressing into our lives. And if we're not careful, we could be caught in its clutches. Look at chapter seven, verse 13. So she seizes 
him and kisses him. She knows what she's doing. If I can just get a hold of that man and start kissing him, start getting him to feel something, that's the aggressiveness that is there. She uses words. Remember, we've already seen that she flatters with her words. But look in, in verse 15, therefore I've come out to meet you. You are the one that I'm after to seek your presence earnestly. I want you just feeding that self-preoccupation, that selfishness that all of us have. And I have found you making this man feel so special in that moment. And she uses touch as well. And the, the, she, she encourages the chapter 8, 7, 18, let's delight ourselves with caresses till morning the man is gone. This is safe. No one will ever know. Evil is out to get us in that aggressive kind of way. Think about how even commercials go after that. Just the ones that come to my mind were McDonald's. You deserve a break today. You, you do. Come on, life is tough. You deserve something. How about a Big Mac? That'll solve all your problems. It doesn't matter what the food item is. The aggressive nature of it is feeding selfishness that abides in all of us. Think about Burger King, have it your way. Have it your way. Don't we all just want something like that from time to time? Everything demanding stuff from us and then all of a sudden comes the message. You deserve a break today. Have it your way. The woman is aggressive in her pursuit of the man. In chapter 7, verses 16 and 17, I've spread my couch with coverings, with colored linens. I've sprinkled my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Listen, you are the center of my world, and I've done all of this for you. Extravagant preparations. And those worldviews that are out there that seek to lure us away, look at all the benefits of this. You think following Jesus is good? How about this over here? Look at the delight you can have. Chapter 7, verse 18, that come let us fill the drink of our love until morning. Let's delight ourselves. Absolute delight over here. Can we just be honest? A lot of everyday living is rather mundane. A lot of everyday living is just filled with tasks. I mean, the house always gets dirty, doesn't it? The toilet always needs to be cleaned, at least regularly. There's always stuff in the sink. The yard keeps growing. Weeds keep emerging. There's often conflict between people and the family, with neighbors, whatever it might be. And isn't it nice when there's something out there that can just be delightful that would bring you relief? That's the lure of the strange woman. Hey, young man, life is so mundane. Life is so sterile. I've got plans for you that will bring you absolute delight. And there's a jackpot here for the young man. The man is not at home. He's gone for a long journey. He's got a bag of money with him. It's gonna be a while. This is the perfect plan. Anonymity for a Christian can be one of the most dangerous aspects of a life. Anonymous. 
I'm all by myself. No one will ever know. That's the lure of so much that takes place on the internet. Just being in Uganda for a week, a man has to be careful out there. A woman has to be careful out there. Anonymity can destroy us all. And that's what this evil worldview is trying to say. No one will ever know. This is our little secret. It's between me and you. You can go to church on Sunday morning. You can put that smile on, carry your Bible, put your check in the offering plate. No one will ever know about what's going on back here. That's the lure of spiritual adultery. And then in verse 20, with many persuasions, she entices him. Evil does not give up. It keeps on coming. It keeps on coming, especially when you're where you should not be. Lure of evil will continue to come after you. And she basically says to him, I'm all yours. No one will ever know. Like a deer in heat. I used to love to go deer hunting back when I lived in a place where there were good white-tailed deer on the other side of the Mississippi. We used to go out hunting. And you know what? A buck loses his mind once a year when the does are in heat. A buck will stay hidden all year long. You'll never see that duck. But once he gets that buck, once, not a duck, a buck, once he gets his mind on that trail of a doe in heat, he loses his mind. He forgets what path he's on. He fails to remember the dangers that are out there and he just goes after it. And that's what he's trying to say here in verse 24. Look, now therefore my sons, listen to me. Pay attention to my words. Don't let your heart turn aside your ways. Don't stray into her past. For many are the victims she has cast down. Numerous are all her slain. Her house is the way to Sheol. You be careful. Look what it says in verse 23, uh, 22. Suddenly he follows her as an ox to the slaughter, as one in fetters to the discipline of a fool upon an arrow until an arrow pierces through his liver. As a bird hastens to the snare, as a mouse to the trap. Look at that cheese. And then that mouse scarfs down that cheese and we all know what happens next. They don't live happily ever after. Evil seeks to grab our attention like that. I, the point I want you to see from the story of the woman is evil is aggressive. We live in a world where we are being bombarded by evil. But I want to make my main point. One more thing that I really want us to see. Our time is slipping away. In chapter verse 7, verse 7, we, we have a young man lacking sense. Literally, this, this idea of simple means that there is just a, a, a sense to this person to where he's open. He's just open-minded. I keep my options open. I'm uncommitted. I'll seek whatever seems to be beneficial, lives for the moment, a failure to think ahead about what the consequences might be, what this path might lead to, open. I'm just open. I approach my day and I'm open. That's who he is. This is one who lacks the understanding of God's word to stay on a path that leads to life. I'm open. Whatever's going to work out for me, that's what I'm going to pursue. And the issue for him is just being simple. He, he doesn't have that wisdom that's necessary for life. And that's why the father continues to 
pour into the son. Let me tell you about wisdom. Let me tell you about the words. Look at chapter seven, verses one through five. My son, keep my words. Treasure my commandments within you. Keep my commandments and you live. And my teaching is the apple of your eye. I mean, think about that. Teaching is the apple of your eye. Think about your pupil. You ever get up close to someone's eye and look into their eye? Just look right into the eye and you can see your reflection. And that's the idea here. What is in your pupil? In other words, what are you gazing on? Where are your eyes fixed? That's what the father's saying to the son. You keep the word as if it's just being reflected in your eye. That's what you see. You don't see options. You're not open. Your, your gaze is fixed. And that becomes the point of this particular story. Fix your gaze. Because if you're not careful, the strange woman, that outside of the covenant is going to lure you away and it will be your death. So let me ask you this morning, because what he does when we talk about the simple person is he gives in to foolishness and it's his death. So let me ask a simple question this morning. Where is your gaze? Where is your gaze? Now, listen, I'm not asking you, where do you want your gaze to be? I'm asking you, where is your gaze? If we could look into the pupil of your eye, what would be reflected? What has captured your attention? What has captured your heart? And I know, I talk to people on a regular basis. How is your time in the word? Oh, yeah. All right, here we go. I'm, I think I'm doing better. I don't even accept that as an answer anymore. What do you mean better? You mean you read it yesterday and you haven't read it for the last year or what? Where is your gaze? What's being reflected in your eye? Not what you want it to be, but who you are and where you're going. Because if, if the reflection of your eye is not God's word, then you're living your life as a simple one. You're open. You're, you're open. Whatever. I'll take it. Yeah, I want to follow Jesus, but maybe, maybe not. You are putting yourself in a position like the young man lacking sense. Verse eight, you're passing through the street near a corner. Your gaze is not on God's word. So now you're open and you can find yourself passing through the street. You can take the way to her house and that evil will find you. The father just pleading with his son as so many parents here have pleaded with their kids throughout the years. I know I have. I've cried with many of you as we pleaded with God about our kids. But let's all step back and, and just be honest. Where is our gaze? Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. The word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. Where is your gaze? Can, can you ask yourself that honestly this morning? If we were to look in the pupil of your eye, which is going to take us all the way into your heart, where's your gaze? Listen to what Jesus says in chapter, where do I want to go? I want to go to, give me a second here. Matthew 6. Look at what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6. This is going to make a lot of sense to us after reading this proverb right here. In Matthew chapter six, in verses 22 to 24, listen to the way Jesus puts it. Now, in verse 
20, he's saying, don't lay up yourselves treasures in heaven where uh, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither wrath nor moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. You want to know what Jesus is saying? Where is your gaze? Are you open or are you set? Paul writes, set your mind on things above, not things on the earth. Set your heart there because where your heart is set is where your life will be set. So maybe today would be the day where we, we might stop saying, well, I, I hope, I, I really need to increase my Bible reading. I need to get my gaze there. I'm really gonna, yeah, I've been trying, been trying. This just doesn't work real well. The father of Proverbs is saying, son, this is not optional. You either put your gaze here or you'll end up in disaster. Let's pray. Lord, we, we give ourselves to you right now. And Lord, we pray that the highest priority of our life would be to keep our gaze on you. Lord, you are our wisdom. It's very clear there is no life apart from you. And God, in your infinite mercy and goodness, you've given us your word so that we could know you and know this path to life. So Lord, I pray you'd help all of us here to see that evil just bombarding us daily and that you would give us a deepened commitment to keep our gaze where it needs to be. We give our lives to you and we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.